0: Welcome back to the Valkyrie Project podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Meg. And today we are sitting back down with my friend Cece Craft, a.k.a. Cecilia. Miss Cece is a mental performance coach that we actually spoke with once before on the podcast. And we discussed a lot of aspects of her working as a mental performance coach for special operations soldiers as well as professional athletes in the Major League Baseball realm, um, we didn't quite get to talk about all the topics we wanted to regarding performance, and particularly how to cage your mentality for performance, especially as people that operate in outlier-type situations, outlier in the sense of on the peripheries of society. And I think it's fair to say that most service members kind of live in that realm. And uh, so today we're talking about some techniques that we can use to, as outliers, narrow our performance and our focus and find ways to decrease stress and increase bandwidth so that really we can perform at our best. I'm your host, Meg, and this is The Valkyrie Project. friend of mine, Nick, who, if you're listening, shout out, Nick, what's up? Um, I had actually, this, this idea is still on the back burner. We haven't done it and or made it happen because COVID and craziness. But, um, I had said like, let's just, you know, get on the podcast and jam, except, you know, normally I ask people questions, but you pose the questions to me and let's get into the nitty gritty of not only what this thing is about, but also like, um, I guess the more nuanced conversations that often happen around these topics that we operate in, um especially in the year 2020 where it's just a smorgasbord of narratives and options and really just a a cacophonous environment of, of voices um, bringing it back to why we do what we do. And I've always appreciated that um, the, the Ted talks and writings of Simon Sinek because of his Mm -hmm. ability to distill down, you know, start like the book, the title of the book says start with why Right. people want to know what what you're all about what your brand is representing and you know what you're providing that the next fitness company is not or the next you know mental performance company is not so yep yep it's a big deal and we're so i totally want to circle back to that i even wrote it down and put a star next to it because I want to hear more about all train project too for sure i think it's really exciting but
1: it's well it's another COVID impact but, but I decided it i was yeah, not gonna, not gonna sit on anymore and to start doing something with it. So, what I can do right now is the blog. So I'm playing there, but uh, yeah, definitely. perfect.
0: Yeah, it's it's certainly put us all in a position of like, what can I do with the bandwidth that I have right now to like keep my sanity, but also keep this thing afloat. I totally hear that.
1: Yes, yes. All right. Yes.
0: Pin is stuck. Pin is stuck in all terrain project. We're gonna circle back, but um, I like it to get into the nitty gritty of today we we spent so much time like chit-chatting about just this kind of personal experiences and vignettes and like having just I don't know a jam session if you will about some of the profiles that we've worked in but we didn't quite have enough time to get to some of the um the mental performance points that I think are really just gold um you know I've had a lot of Exposure to folks that do what you do and have often walked away from those engagements and conversations with something incredibly useful for me. Um, and so, you know, I was curious, is there a particular place you'd like to start with that conversation or should we do it like pose a question style?
1: Uh, no, pose a question. Get, get me started. I'm, I'm going to be... All right. Sorry, the rain's got me. Gonna,
0: no, you're good. Yeah, I'm going to no. s- squeeze this lemon here. Okay, so to get the juices going... We'll, we'll put some context behind it, right? We had just had a, a couple of words exchanged about like the stress of COVID and, you know, the stress of essentially having your whole day to day upended, basically, maybe not so much a new normal, but like an upended routine, right? You're rebuilding your routine. Um, what are some of the techniques that that you teach or that you coach to help people? get through the ankle bitery stress that kind of takes away from focus when it's time to perform?
1: It's a good question. Um, so I think the first thing is to recognize that stress comes in like all different forms, right? So there's like physiological stress, like putting stress on your body. It might be the lift that you're doing really perfectly or purposely where, where then you're you know hopefully programming your recovery to um, there's mental stress, there's emotional stress. Um, and there's even like, uh, I think stress always has a negative connotation, but um, maybe if we think about like stress in a workout, that doesn't it, that doesn't have such a negative connotation, right? We purposely stress ourselves to build strength and recover. Uh, we pr- to build strength and grow, but we know recovery is part of that. I think one of the pieces we miss sometimes is cataloging um, mental stress, cognitive stress, emotional stress, um, or even things we do want to put um, energy out to, in a positive sense, but is going to take energy. So maybe maybe energy expenditure is even a better way to look at it than stress. Um, So one of the first things I would say is um, to pay attention to what the energy cost is for different things um, and become aware of that. Um, And then in times like this, I would say, okay, what do you want to prioritize and build your day around? Um. What matters most? So you mentioned Simon Sinek in the beginning. Like, what is your why? Like, what, what, what is the, what do you want to be the nucleus of your day at this point? And I think one of the really interesting things COVID has done is, you know, for all of us when we think about like work and being um, doing a good job at work or 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 being um, progressing appropriately, sometimes we forget that like for many of us, the nucleus of our day is actually our family. And so, and if kids are at home or if other things are happening there, you may realize that like where you've always thought about productivity from a like, what's my why for work or what's, you know, what do I prioritize for work? Well, now all of a sudden the bigger priority comes to play. Like, so family is a priority, but then how do I build around that? So I think self-awareness about, okay, where are your priorities? Where do you want them to be? Um, And then paying attention to how your day functions. Um so if you look at like circadian rhythm research which is super interesting I think um you know, we have kind of this morning alert zone that goes uh, about two hours after we've woken up and usually is timed with daylight. So if you wake up at three in the morning, that does not work for you. Um, but like kind of if you give it like a rough like nine to 11 or eight to 11 standpoint, um, which is really good for cognitive function. So what can you use within that time? And then you kind of got the 11 to two o'clock, right? We think about that. as like the lunchtime dip. It's called the postprandial dip. Um, it actually, you know, food isn't what causes it. Our, our hormone levels actually drive us into a lower rate. Um, and then from two o'clock on, you've kind of got this, um, wake maintenance zone, which is your afternoon and it comes back up and that's really actually better for their physiological, um, strength and capability. And then around 10 o'clock at night, you hit your biological night and and you're not good for much. Um, and so thinking about your day, thinking about how to build your day around those priorities, Um, and what, what do you want to be able to expend energy on what's most important for your energy expenditure and when, um, is your best time to do that? Um, and so then how do you prioritize that? I think during really stressful times, like, especially as COVID all started, if, you know, that was stressful for a lot of us in many ways, we're kind of learning that new normal, um, prioritizing one or two things and letting the small stuff slide off your plate and being forgiving about that is a really big deal, um, it's kind of like going to a first day of school or first day of a new job, you know, six months from now that will not be exhausting, but the first week it's exhausting. So when we're in new situations, figure out what your couple priorities are and really build around those and be present for those and then be forgiving for the rest. And then, you know, we all will build our routines um, and we'll be able to be present for more and kind of our endurance, if you will, kind of picks up, Um, or our stress tolerance picks up. Uh, New things aren't so new anymore, and they don't take as much energy. We've figured out the mental shortcuts of them, and we can move through a day a little bit more seamlessly.
0: I really like that conservation of energy type of prospect or aspect of it. I think there's a lot of us out there that are kind of type A types, or maybe type A is an overly used word and it's probably losing some meaning because we toss it around a lot in certain circles and certain communities. But certainly there is this tendency to labor under the delusion that we can do it all and we can have it all. And I think in some ways that delusion is, it's useful in the sense of there's really nothing that can tell you no if, if human potential is, more or less infinite. You know what I mean? Like right. you, you want to have that aspect of shoot for the stars. Like, hell yeah, you can have what you want. Yes, you can have what you want. At the same time, that hyper focus on trying to achieve more and more and more just steals so much bandwidth away often, like you said, from things that we find to be more important. And really, you can't identify that unless you're taking catalog of things that that steal your time every day and and maybe i'm like not properly caging i heard you say stress cataloging to me that sounds like taking an inventory of like what's pulling away my attention throughout the day and how many of these ankle biters can i decide don't matter and the term i use with one of my athletes is um the the effort bucket but when you actually say it rhymes you know yes T- toss it in there is it important <laughs> enough is it one of your top three
1: get rid of it right well and i think so the dirty secret i think is in performance you can't do it all at once and you have to prioritize so if you look at like super elite performers you will find that they have sacrificed what, what most of us are totally unwilling to sacrifice For some that that, that's family. I mean, for the younger people, it might have been high school proms or dating lives. Um, They sacrifice things that most of us don't want to to put more towards um, what it is they want to achieve. And, you know, I think back, like, you know, my mom definitely told me like, you know, honey, you can, you can be anything you want to be. And of course I've got all these, especially being female, these perceptions of what I want to be in terms of my career, in terms of the kind of home I want to have. I think I should be able to like, you know, uh, work a full day and be absolutely the best at that. And then I, you know, I want to get in my exercise and be the best at that. And then I want to come home and I want to make a home cooked meal and I want to be the best at that. And I want to have a clean home and I want to be the best at that. And then I look outside of my garden and I want to be good at that. And it doesn't stop. And so I think there's um, a component of, yes, you can have it all, maybe not all at once though. And you might have to think about even, um, uh, weirdly you could almost, um, say, looking at like periodization, if you want to do lots of things within a year or over a lifespan, there might be periodization. So even the appreciation of, you know, if you have a child, that may be where you are right now. And, and having kind of some grace with letting some of the other pieces take a back burner for a little bit um, before you pick back up. So just knowing that that's an ebb and flow and all things at once, it's very, I mean, jack of all trades, master of none, right, is the phrase. And I think, if you want to be excelling at something, you have to be able to be master at that one. And you you have to be able to say no and let go, especially the minutia, but even probably of some substantial kind of medium stuff that's hard to say the the effort for, um, but just doesn't fit the agenda right now.
0: Yeah. I feel like me from five years ago is like nodding her head so hard she might have whiplash. Like, <laughs> man, you can't be like... I couldn't be an officer on active duty trying to be like trying to still be a competitive CrossFitter and like also have a marriage and not even having kids yet, like just maintaining a household and my pet. It was just, it was too much. Um, And I find it incredible to see the people that seem to like magically juggle all the or, or like spin all the plates all at once so gracefully, but I think what's happening behind you know, when you pull the curtain back is like, not only does that person have, you know, a pretty well executed plan that's, that's conscious instead of this whole like bumper boat style floating through my day, just putting out fires, but also a good support network, like backing those goals up.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a huge piece there too. Is like, um, so, you know, we talked about even like, as you build, right. So that you know, you step into a job for the first time, um, you know, every interaction is stressful. You're on for every moment. I remember my first day um, working for the Indians. They did like a tour throughout the building, and my cheeks hurt at the end of it from smiling so much at every person and making sure that I was like warm. And you know, it's the new kid. See so this like huge smile when you meet everyone, and I wanted to be super present. And um, yeah, that's exhausting. And then you know, two years in, you don't your greetings aren't stressful for with people. And so I think that's the other piece too is just realizing. You know, I think sometimes we look at someone, uh, you know, with the equivalents of like they're on their third child and you're having your first and you're like, that's the mom I'm going to be. Or um, someone that's moved four times and you're moving for your first time or someone that's um, in their 10th CrossFit competition and you're going into your first and you think I'm going to be like that. And we sometimes forget for like that person has been doing this a lot, has gotten better over time. That's not what their day one looked like he would be like, you know, why can you put together and brief something in 20 minutes? And like, if I try to do that, I'm all over the place. And I'm like, okay, well, thanks. That's really sweet. I also have twice as much time at this as you do, right? So like, you know, you're going to be better than I am when you you have as much time in. But to think that you have half as much time and you should be able to do it as well as me, like, that's crazy that, that, you know, that would suggest I hadn't been working ass off for the last however many, like, that's how I'm going to do it. Sometimes forget they put the time in.
0: Yeah, and I think um, it's a it's a careful dance we dance in in comparison because everyone needs something to look up to and, and you know, I think a lot of people benefit from having an example to follow at the same time. Comparison can be such a thief of joy and if you don't regularly remind yourself of your own accomplishments and take stock of the reasons that you have to be grateful for why you are where you are right now, it's really easy to fall into that trap of why am I not like this other person? And it's funny when you brought that up too, I actually immediately clicked it because you you used the motherhood example and I clicked over to that. I think it's like a loves commercial where it's like baby one, like, oh, use hand sanitizer before you touch little Jimmy. (laughs) And by the next one, she's like handing the baby to the greasy mechanic. Like, can you hold this for a second? (laughs) Uh Yeah, right. Priorities probably change a little bit too. Um, I feel like anytime I listen to pro athletes, high performers, you know, talk about the difference between their first year or their fifth year mm. competing or doing whatever they do. There's a lot of growth there that isn't always, you know, apparent on the surface.
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes even like we get into the myth of today of like, if I've prepared well enough, I'll cover all my bases. Um, my dad always laughs. I forget even what I was telling him a story about recently. Um, maybe it was killing plants. And he was like, mm-hmm, and this is how you learn to garden. Like, yes, you kill lots of plants. This is, this is the process, you know, or, um, Oh, maybe I was even talking about buying the house I live in. And I was like, you know, I was really lucky that there's nothing majorly wrong. I went in with a lot of good faith and a great realtor. Um, and he's like, but this is how you learn. Like you own your first house and then you're much more informed when you think about possibly buying something else. And, and so for him, it was like, uh-huh. Yeah. You make lots of mistakes. You learn. And for me, it, I think, you know, Google can be deceiving and that we think like, well, if I just Google enough information on it, um, I'll do it right the first time. And maybe we don't have the same tolerance for like trial and error, um, that my parents' generation did. So, um, I do think sometimes like I try to remember, um, and tell my husband, I'm not the Kevorkian of gardening. I'm just learning. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I feel like that's a big piece. Um, someone that I think actually covers it really well, uh, to stay on F words. Um, and I'm forgetting on the author's name right now, but the book, the subtle art of not giving uh, f word, um, he does a really nice job of talking about like, and you just have to get through the first chapter where I swear he tries to just desensitize you to the F bomb. Um, cause he says it more than I can handle. Um, but then he gets into some really great stuff about like, um, Yeah, you know, we look on social media and people have this ability to portray snapshots of their life where it looks like they really are. They've got 10 plates spinning in the air. They're all perfect. Um, But that's that's not really how it works. And so he talks a little bit about like finding like what do you actually want to care about? What do you give a F about? And then like that's your piece and and focus there and put your energy into there and let let the rest of it, you know, go away. And social media has done us some disjustice in that. and, And I think there's a lot of good points there. Gosh,
0: that was exactly the same thing I was just thinking. Like, social media is such an effective tool for distraction and lack of confidence and anxiety. I mean, pick the bad feelings, you name it. Pour them into that bucket that is social media. Mm. And, and I hate that I have to, like, spend so much time on it in order to kind of keep this Valkyrie Project thing, you know, moving in a, in a growth direction. Uh, because I find myself just going down slippery slopes of, like, I just spent like a lot of energy on something that really doesn't deserve my attention today when I've got these other goals.
1: Yep. That's what this piece is. Like, I think like when we talk energy expenditure and how you spend your day, um, my iPhone now likes to tell me like my weekly average and like, you know, I can tell when I've spent, you know, four hours a day on my phone. And then you think about like, my God, you know, what is that or TV or whatever you get sucked into. So, uh, yes, I think you're spot on on that.
0: Mm -hmm. and my husband would say that i don't need to watch the whole entire series of the golden girls for a seventh time but i'm like just this is how i relax and it's probably (laughs) not a good use of
1: my time that's how you're relaxing then you know maybe that's your recovery period
0: i need i need to find some more productive relaxation i think but (laughs) um i also think too that you you made a good point um just mentioning the process of trial and error and how we've kind of lost that art. I I feel like I see it happening in younger generations now um, as a person steadily climbing towards middle age. I don't even know what middle age means anymore, but I think I'm almost there. But uh, it's, it's interesting how, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but certainly it, it creates challenges when, you know, it's, you see parenting techniques swing in this pendulum kind of way as time goes on, or you you know hear people tell stories about what it was like when they were young. You listen to your grandparents, you know. Um, I feel like my parents have told lots of stories about how they were just, you know, and it was similar as to how when I think we were you know we were probably both kids. You could play all day in the summertime and you knew it was time to come home when either dad would whistle out the front door the the street lights would come on and you could be anywhere in the neighborhood And you don't have to be in constant contact with your parents and the expectation was you're going to come home with bloody knees or you know struggling in some like tour de force against like the neighborhood bully or just like you know figuring stuff out um, in a very non-protected way and it seems now like parenting techniques have shifted to towards there's a lot more attention paid to the emotional and mental state of the child Mm -hmm. in a way of like, I want to like nurture and show love and, you know, help this tiny human being build some self-confidence and self-esteem. But at the same time, I think that often can, not always does, but can create a situation where parents are excessively protecting their kid from those those trial and error type situations like well no sweetheart you can't win every single baseball game and i'm yeah it sucks i i'm here for you go try again this is how we get better right um and that's you know kind of not so much of a strong thing anymore but i'm also speaking from a perspective of a person without children so please
1: set me straight no no i mean i think um Uh, so to come into a realm where, where I probably have a right to speak, like, I think we, we've talked a lot about that even with like coaches for athletes is, is on a baseball field, for example, if a guy that historically has been really good at hitting, um, let's say that pitchers start to learn to pitch him inside, um, close to his body and he's struggling, um, it's really interesting to watch the player will struggle with it and how to adapt. But what's equally interesting to watch is the coach will struggle with it because the player is a representation of his coaching. I say his just because with major league baseball, it's generally his. Um, And so it's interesting to watch if the coach can sit with the player's failure and help the player figure it out. Or sometimes coaches will give them kind of a, Mm, a quick cheat and say, you know, once you get a hit, it'll, it'll build this confidence back up and then he'll figure this out. And so like they, they have the need to kind of like, Hey, how do I give you like a fake attaboy basically, um, to build up your confidence with some success and let you figure this out. The problem is, is that that's a short game, right? It doesn't work in the long run. And so I think that's true for all of us, you know, with our friends, the difference of, um, trying to immediately fix the problem versus being with someone and in their problem. Um, Trevor Reagan just did a podcast on emotion, um, and, and kind of bad emotions versus good emotions. And, and I loved it. Um, and they talked a little bit about like, yeah, just recognizing someone's emotion, not trying to fix it, not trying to say like, Oh, you'll feel better tomorrow, but just, okay, this is a crummy feeling. That's, that's, yeah, that's how it feels to lose. It's crummy. Um, Cause I, I, yeah, I, I think, I think we all do it around each other too, right? Like we just, it's hard to sit and watch that struggle, but I think we all know on some level too, that's how we like figure it out, right? If we think about like the most defining moments of how we got to where we are today It's the ability to weather a storm and, and, and then realizing that that storm probably further defined your process or who you are or your character or how, you know, do things or how you learn to do it faster or never to make that mistake again, right? Like we needed that horrible moment to learn that big crucible lesson. Yet we oftentimes, if we're not careful, rob others of that chance to work through it themselves.
0: Absolutely. Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly on two points there one um being that it's it's uh, it's interesting how we all know the value of those crucible struggles because we go through them and then we speak so proudly of them later about how it was a moment of defining moment in our lives and yet when we're in the middle of it we can't see it like ugh, this doesn't feel like it's supposed to right now like i'm supposed to be you know <laughs> Yeah, a night at the round table on the off on crusades on horseback. It's supposed to feel like, who knows? We we just can't recognize it when we're in it. But um, the second point that was really you know resounded me just then was being a coach of athletes that sometimes hit a, a rough patch, and I can't you know I want to prescribe the answer, right? But sometimes the answer is like you just gotta have a hard conversation with yourself and decide what what you want this thing to be, you know? Like, I can only take you so far as the coach. Um, and it's, it's a cruddy feeling when you can't fix it for your athlete. Yeah. But at the same time, that's why we call it coaching and not puppeteering. Yep. Puppet mastering, you know?
1: Yep. Well, and they have to want to do it for themselves. Like in sports psych or mental performance, like I always tell people, working with me or for me, if you've worked harder during a session than your performer, your athlete, your soldier has, there's something wrong, right? If they're the one that's trying to achieve something. You're there to facilitate a process. So you should be facilitating. You should be doing work with them. But if you find yourself pulling teeth, if you find yourself doing all the legwork and exhausted after a session... Um, you may want to look at the person and say, Hey, like, I'm here to help, but how badly do you want it? It's like the coach showing up to a practice session with no athlete there. It's not going to make the athlete get any better. It doesn't matter how badly the coach wants it for him. So, um, I think there's, yeah, a cool component too, in terms of like, then letting the athlete soldier performer, it's their win. It's their success then too.
0: Yep. It's gotta be internalized, intrinsic motivation. 's got to be coming from within them, yep, so I wanted to circle back to a couple of things you brought up earlier, too, one being program- programming recovery. I think this is a place where many athletic trainers slash coaches repeatedly fail to add value for clients. Mm-hmm. Or fail to communicate the importance of or imbue a respect, a healthy respect for what it means to properly recover. So, when you when you describe programming recovery, what does that look like from a coaching perspective?
1: So, I think um, one of the biggest mistakes we make is not taking our recovery is as, as, um, as seriously as as the work as the output. Um, problem with that is at some point you just shortcut your output, right? like are you 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 limit it. so, Um, you know, if you're running on four hours of sleep a night and you're working out every day, you're only going to see a certain amount of benefits from that. Um, because at some point your body doesn't have the ability to recover from it. So you're going to watch short-term memory struggles. You're not going to be able to lift as much. Like it's going to start to, your gains are going to start to diminish because you're not giving the backside of that work. And so I think people oftentimes think about the work they need to do and they forget that the recovery has to happen. The other thing is, um, a lot of things that we think of as restful are not particularly actually restful um so if you think about like watching tv depending on what it is um and if you actually <sighs> I you're going to say that I know if you, <laughs> if, you, if you actually watch someone like hooked up to tv um like uh, either brain imaging or heart rate variability or some different different stuff there um TV's funny. If you watch something like, like, I think they did this study actually with friends and they found that, um, people watching friends have the same emotional reactions throughout friends as if it was actually happening to their real life friends. So like when someone's going through a breakup, they literally had like hurt emotions for their friend, uh, which was Rachel or whoever. Um, and, uh, so video games follow a similar line, especially if you play something that's like a first person shooter game or like high adrenaline games, like, we like them because there's a greater sense of control than our lives, right? So, like, if you put something on a box, a TV, a computer screen, um, video game, there's a greater sense of control. Um, it's not in the real world; you can turn it off when it gets to be too much. But there's still an emotional output to it. And so, um, if you actually look at like what creates a uh, parasympathetic engagement, right? So, like sympathetic fight or flight response that's with because you're coming down out of that, think of shooter dropping. Um, you want to be engaging that parasympathetic, and that's that's good. Restful sleep, that might be mindfulness or meditation. Um, actually, green spaces and anything nature based has a really interesting impact on us. Um, but it's making space for not having stimulus, um, which is really hard for us in this day and age. So it was just actually in an interesting discussion with another person that does mental performance and we were talking about mindfulness, and it's become this big buzzword, and I was like, right, you know, mindfulness is the new sexy thing now because everything we own dings, pings, vibrates, and reminds us of stuff. Um, And so mindfulness matters because it's going back to, as you talked about, playing on the streets till the the streetlights come on and just getting to be fully present where you are. Like we grew up with some of that, right? Like when cell phones initially came out, I had friends that did not want them because they did not want someone to be able to reach them wherever they were. Like they just wanted to get to be where they were. Um, Now we teach it as a skill (laughs) called mindfulness. But we may even talk about this last time. Like if you've ever sat at a stoplight and looked at your phone because you can't sit 20 seconds with a red light just being where you are and you need a stimulus, Like it probably would tell you that engaging your parasympathetic in some way, shape or form would be really good. If Shavasana makes you want to crawl out of your skin at the end of a yoga class, then you probably need some work on it. You know, it's that it's, (laughs) um, if you go for a walk and can't do it without listening to a podcast on your ear, your headset, you know, you probably need some work on that. And I find myself there all the time.
0: Same it's it's hard to escape in in the modern world we live in so just to cage everybody's understanding right we use i've used the words parasympathetic and sympathetic before without really explaining what they mean but the way i take it to to mean is sympathetic typically implies with the word sympathy at the root there like a connectivity with something that's happening in the external stimulus. So like you see something thrilling and your heart rate goes up or you see something stressful or you experience something, whatever. And, and your body is sympathizing with that, with that external factor. Whereas parasympathetic is the opposite in the sense of coming inside your own headspace to turn off external stimulus and, and bring back to a state of like, settled or stasis and the ways that we do that are mindfulness practices and breathing practices and, um, sleep, <laughs> sleep. Is that yeah. about right? Or.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, your sympathetic would be your like fight or flight engagement. So, um, it's your emotional response to the world around you. Um, and, and yes, probably at its height, most categorized by like fight or flight. Um, but, but if you think about it, like the, um, activation of energy would be your sympathetic um, your deactivation, kind of your shutdown switch that you can relax, um, would be your parasympathetic. Gotcha. And people will stay in sympathetic states. So we're meant to get like, we're meant to have stress in our lives, but we're meant to have small periods of stress, right? So if you think about a workout, like you stress a muscle system for a period of time, that's good. That creates growth. You don't keep it stressed for days on end. So acute stress, short periods, not chronic not over days and weeks and months, um, that's good for your muscle. And that's also what's good for you, right? So we are really good at mobilizing, um, for short, stressful events and they don't tend to harm us in any way. And we're, we're, that's what we're built for. We're not built to be chronically stressed. We're not, we're not built to stay in a sympathetic response for days and weeks and months on end um, but, um, deployments can do that. Um, COVID could do that. Uh, work stress could do that. Um, and if you don't find ways to engage your parasympathetic, you kind of build up this chronic stress response. Um, people don't sleep well. I mean, they just kind of stay in this state and it has all kinds of impacts. Um, there's been interesting stuff when they've looked at just, uh, how much people struggle when they retire than out of it. And they're kind of taken out of forcefully taken out of what, um, has been stressing them and to adapt. And so it's important that we remember, you know, we are built for acute stress, which means that you, you know, particularly if you're doing something stressful training for an event, you know, the next six months are going to be a big push. You really want to program in recovery. If you want to be able to perform well consistently throughout that six months and beyond that period of time.
0: Right. Um, man, I just so many things popped into my head just now with you, you know, talking about taking time out and in the way that, you know, work and deployments can force you in a particular profile. You know, I think a lot of people listening can relate to that scenario, potentially deployed where the leader is saying things like, find time for self care, deployments are stressful. (laughs) Make time to sleep, make time to go to the gym, this and that, you know, encouraging people to take care of themselves. And then at the same time, that particular commander staff is like, where where's the captain? She's out sick. She's really, really sick. So she's taken a day so she doesn't infect people in the office. What? what do you mean she's sick? We have a meeting like, you know, and this is the uh-huh. like the culture that we have uh-huh. to fight against constantly. Um, it's. Uh, it's a, a meritocracy for sure, but also one that is kind of nonsensical in terms of recognizing people's needs and recognizing really the fact that people will perform better if given opportunities to actually pursue that parasympathetic state and getting proper rest. And like, I think we discussed this a little bit too. Like, um, you had mentioned before our hormonal fluctuations throughout the day. Here's a question I'd like for the whole military as an enterprise to answer. Like, why do we continue to keep people like in class between 12 and four every day? Like, why can't we just have a solid block of instruction from like 7 a.m. to 11: 30, 12? Like right, m- Maximize that window, Let people take lunch who knows, maybe do like the Spaniards and let people have an afternoon siesta because that's actually an evolutionary thing, is it not? Like napping is productive and yeah, helpful and typically yeah. people that take a cat nap are more productive throughout the rest of the day and they can get more done. Like there's <laughs> there's all this biological cueing where our bodies are telling us the right answer, but the, this, the modern systems that we have in place fight that. Right.
1: Right. No, I I think, I mean, you hit on, like, the difference between, like, tradition and then, like, what actually, like, makes sense. And I think there's so much to that. So, like, there's even a lot of research that would suggest, like, we have about four or five hours of deep work that we can do on any given day. And that's about what our brain and attention can do. And so if you're really going to get in and get after something, you have about four to five hours. Um, So, yeah, you think about the different different ways school systems are set up. Like, we just kind of drudge through eight hours we're not actually good for eight hours. So like, yeah, what do you want someone to learn? How do you want them to learn it? Um, it would be amazing if we like stopped and ate lunch and even got like a midday workout. We're just trying to maintain this or afternoon or evening workouts. If you're trying to increase people's fitness are things to consider. Like, you know, I've wondered for a long time, like why, okay, why why do why does the military PT first thing in the morning? Like it's even not necessarily physiologically the best time. Like why, why then? well, Be home and have dinner with their family necessarily as they get out of bed early in the morning before everybody else. Um, And so uh, you can kind of steal them from home during that time without people being upset. But if, hey, PTs at 5 p.m. when the day is done, um, you know, kids would be sad not to see their parents. Um, I get that. I mean, I get kind of going back and forth between what makes sense. But I've even heard stories of like a commander at one point realizing that. Um, the social disruption to families. He had a lot of younger soldiers where um, the spouse was driving their soldier into PT in the morning in the family car and waking the kids up to get everyone in the car to drive soldier to PT. And then, you know, family goes, tries to go about their day. Soldier then has been dropped off in desert day, but for the family with one car, that was how they were getting, To PT. And so he changed PT to the afternoon that commander did. And they watched happiness scales go up, productivity go up, like family life balance go up, like all these reports started happening. But the minute the guy left command, it all went back to normal because that's not the traditional way it was done. And people even complained about, um, so while they're saying, reporting better home lives and the families are happier, they're still saying, "Mm, this is feeling uncomfortable. So between tradition and what makes sense but i do think so one if you're ever in power think about the the performance state you want to set for the people that's really important um and what you want to allow people to make time for it will butt against your agenda and i think you have to decide what matters to you the most the other thing i would say is you know, for things like mindfulness, um, most of the research says 20 minutes a day, and it doesn't have to be consecutive. So like even when I was working in spring training, which are just ridiculous days, um, and you're kind of isolated and away from everyone else for six weeks to two months in Arizona or Florida, um, you know, I, I would find 10 minutes in the morning, usually after my first client at 5.30 a.m., I would, I would do 10 minutes then. I can't tell you what a difference it made for my patience, peace of mind, the way I responded to those around me and probably my overall like decrease of stress level. Um, and then I would find 10 minutes in the evening and that's, you know, yeah, that was 10 minutes. I wasn't scrolling through my social media or things, something like that, but it really, it took discipline. It was hard to get into, particularly when I was stressed, when I needed it the most is when I struggled to do it. Um, and it, but it really made a difference. And I learned that over time. So it, it can be the difference of getting five and a half hours of sleep versus five hours of sleep. Um, you know, fight the little battles that you can, they do add up over time.
0: Yeah. I think there's what you described is basically touching on something I've thought for years and that this, there's so much opportunity where common sense can, can win the day. You know, but it's just so uncomfortable for big organizations sometimes to just step away from, well, we PT at 06 because it's tradition. And, you know, what about stand two in the days of the Revolutionary War where we had to be up before the sun because the enemy? Were? And, you know, it's like, okay. But we're also now in the midst of a mental health crisis, not only in the entire country on a global scale, but also among our community. And this is where there's so many opportunities for leaders to genuinely take a hard look at what makes sense and find a way to balance that tradition which makes the military special and fun and, you know, unique. But also gosh, like what what does it actually look like to take care of your soldiers and not just pay lip service by saying, I care about my men and then eating into all of their free time with just nitinoid bullshit that doesn't make any sense, like man and i I don't like to be a broken record, but I tell this story a lot because it's just it spoke a lot to me you know what is it what message does it send your people when you tell them I care about you and your you know your well being and your free time and this and that and then you know you're you're calling everybody at sixteen hundred on a Friday afternoon for an eighteen hundred meeting while everybody's got their their hand on the on the driver's side door like what are you thinking? You know, this is not yeah. this is not good leadership. But man, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. There's room for improvement. And I challenge anyone listening that's in that, that finds himself in the privileged position to take care of service members, to like, take a hard look. And sometimes you have to fight that fight. Sometimes you have to respectfully argue with your leadership to make the right thing happen. It doesn't mean yeah, <laughs> of course you're gonna fire me because I, I don't want to make my people exercise at a time of day that's inconvenient. Like sometimes you gotta have that sensible conversation. But um, as far as the mindfulness thing goes, for for those of us who you know have seen that buzzword thrown around, and now that I'm off mm-hmm. my soapbox, how do we how do we incorporate <laughs> this? How do we incorporate some mindfulness into our day?
1: Um, I mean, there's so many ways to do it and I am by no means an expert on it, but I would say, um, so in terms of ease of access, I would say Headspace is a phenomenal app. Um, Andy Puddicombe's the voice behind that and the brain behind that. And it it's, it's guided. He'll walk you into it. He's got phenomenal little cartoons that kind of teach you the different components of mindfulness, Um, they're super cute. You can do like three minutes a day and do a free trial. I think it's 12 bucks a month. Um, and, but it has everything from like mindfulness for sleep, mindfulness for stress, mindfulness for test prep, mindfulness for, um, like mindfulness while you wash your hands. It, it is expansive. Um, he even did stuff for the Brits for the Rio Olympics. And so there's mindfulness for performance, um, so I like it because he's got just about everything with baseball players. We use that a ton and I even had like baseball players that would do it with their wives um, like for like pregnancy recovery, um, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then you know as you get used to that, there's things like insight timer that are like uh, less guided, more allowing you to kind of do what you want to do. Um, but I, you know a huge part of mindfulness is allowing yourself to be present in what you're doing. Um, so probably like one of the most well-known, like, uh, uh, starts to a mindfulness class, um, is something as simple as like eating a raisin and, or, and it's stopping and noticing, you know, what does that raisin look like and examining it and taking the time to like be aware of it and how does it feel and what is its texture? And as you put it in your mouth, how does it actually taste, um, and so you can imagine, you can do that with anything. Like we did a mindfulness for hand washing, washing for the medics, um, during COVID because everyone's washing their hands. So if you think about it, you could probably get 20 minutes of mindfulness in just by being mindful while you wash your hands. And really there's a component there about presence, um, just being present in the moment and actually paying attention to what you're doing and allowing your thoughts to stay on what you're doing. Um, in being able to kind of commit that to that time and and that task, um, you can get way more complex than that. Um, so, you know, there's parts of kind of acceptance. I think a big part of um, mindfulness is realizing that you are not your emotions. So like we have a tendency to say stuff like I am pissed, which would mean all of that, all of that. I am, all of CD is pissed. Well, no, I am currently feeling pissed. But I am not. I'm just feeling this way. Andy Peticum talks about this, of like the ability to just notice what the emotions are. So I think his cartoon is like these cars passing and, and having all these emotions written on them. And he's, the little character, of the little cartoonist, is sitting on the side of the road. And it's like, hey, knowing you have all these emotions, you can watch the pass. Um, emotions are temporary. Our tendency is to want to like run out in the middle of the road and direct traffic. And his point is, you know, with emotions, you don't, you don't always need to do that. Um, sometimes you can just notice the emotions and, and watch them pass. So, you know, instead of I am pissed and that is all of I, that, what I am right now, I'm feeling pissed right now, knowing that that will change will pass will evolve over time. And then I can feel that without that guiding everything that I am in that moment is a big part of mindfulness too.
0: It sounds like acknowledging a feeling and then letting it pass gives you a lot more options.
1: Yes. I don't have
0: to choose anger for the next two hours. I can let it go right now and continue doing other things that are more important.
1: Yes. Or or I may know I'm going to sit with anger even for the next two hours because this is a big deal. And yet um, every action I make doesn't have to be about that. In fact, my actions might not even show anger or show frustration. Um, but I may sit with that emotion. It may exist, but it doesn't have to determine my responses, my behavior. Yeah.
0: I think it gives you a lot more choices and it gives you a lot more control over the outcome as opposed to just falling into a state of constant victimhood based on your emotions. And, you know, I've I've occasionally been that person and seen other people live that life and it's exhausting. Like, it is not fun to feel like your emotions are just dictating every aspect of your life by any means.
1: Well, in a in a weird way, I don't mean to blow it. A little child doesn't have that space. They are their emotions, and so when they're happy, they're happy, and when they're upset, they're upset. And you can watch children like switch, you know, um, how they feel within minutes. Um and that is of being that, as you get older you hope the kind of the the space between stimulus and response shows you have what that response will be um, And so I think there's a piece there too of if you find yourself saying well that's how I felt so that's what I did it's probably that moment of like but you don't have to be a slave to that you're not you're not two you're not three you you actually, can feel away and hold that feeling and then choose how you respond. So in the, in
0: the broader conversation of presence, then, um, you know, acknowledging that we have options when it comes to, you know, what emotions we're going to engage or, or not more so than others. What, what is the importance of presence? We talked a little bit about, you know, kind mm-hmm. of what it is, but why does it matter to, to have that?
1: So, um, I draw a goofy stick figure drawing to kind of explain this one. Um, So I like to draw a um, stick figure, just normal guy. And you can kind of imagine your stick figure. Um, But I'll draw him with no head to start. And then I'll draw the head behind the stick figure, nice little circle behind him. And I'll say, okay, that's when your head is in the past and your body is in the present. How well are you performing? When you have no head. And people will say, well, okay, not really well. I'm like, great, right? So when our thoughts are in the past and our bodies in our present, we don't do well. Okay, and then I'll draw the head head of the body. And I'll say, okay, when your thoughts are on outcomes in the future, but your body's still in the present, how well do we perform? Not very well, right? Okay, so the head has to be present on the body to perform. And so I think that that's one of the big pieces is when we're not fully present. It's very hard to do anything well. So, if the heads in the past, the heads in the future, it's just very hard to to do anything. We've talked, um, one of the big things in our field, especially in applied work, people talk about balance and the lack of it. So, in professional sport, if you're supporting a professional sports team, you're probably not home very much. You know, I was home about six days out of a month. Um, And so, then the conversation became more like, what's the work-life blend, right? If you can't balance it, like, what does it actually look like? And a big thing we talk a lot about is when you are home, being present, right? Not, not being half at work, because the presence is really what matters. And possibly, like, the quality of the interaction is more important than the quantity of the interaction. So if you take your kids in every night to bed, but you're half on your phone while you're doing it, is that really more valuable than being fully present when you're with them? I don't know, half as much of the time. Um, you could argue it any way, but I would say that um, presence is a huge deal just in terms of your ability to fully engage with people, with yep. work, and with performance.
0: Right. I think, too, you know, it's important to point out that when we say... Living in the past or, in you know, when your head is in the past or in the future. This is not remote, distant, whatever. This can be like, I have an urgent deadline coming up tomorrow. Or (laughs) I am still ruminating on emotions or replaying a particular conversation. I wish that had gone differently in my head over and over, like, two hours after it's happened. This can be, you know, immediate past or future. But it still is, in some ways, kind of being an energy vampire and draining away, you know, the bandwidth that could be applied to being in the here and now, um, which to me seems also like a place of it's real, it's real purity, and it's the most real, real that you have access to. You know, the most real reality yeah. you have access to, because the past is done and over with, and there's nothing you can do, and the future is unknowable, and all we really have is right here and right now.
1: If you think about, you know, drive to work that you've been on, where you realize that you don't recall any of your drive to work and you literally operated heavy machinery to get to work driving your car, but you weren't present for any of it. And then if you've ever had that great day where like you notice the blooms in the tree and like how, you know, the grass is growing on the fields you drive past and all this other stuff and you're present for it, it's a very different feeling. Um, You know, I even... If I'm not careful in a room, if I'm, I, I will try to listen to multiple conversations instead of being fully present in the one I'm in, and I'm reacting with the person. Stop myself. Like this is the conversation I'm choosing to have. So be present. Stop trying to listen to the two other conversations occurring. Right, uh, distractions. It's a, uh, it's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I think it. You know, it goes back to two. Like we've got all these things. You start phone dinging and it's not rude anymore to check the text quickly when you're talking to somebody or your watch goes off or your email goes off. You know, this is normal in our society. So mm-hmm. present is less and less common. Yep. Yeah,
0: you couldn't be more right. So we've, I think we've covered pretty well, you know, mindfulness as a technique and, you know, cataloging our stress and making sure that we're taking just as much time to focus on recovery as we are doing the actual work. What is like a final technique that you could share with listeners that if we're talking about, you know, outliers or high performing people that live on that high end of the spectrum when it comes to performance, Um, What's a tool that you like to use that could be useful for them in in just kind of mitigating these day-to-day pressures and stresses?
1: Hmm. So I I, I guess I'd go twofold. Like on the the energy expenditure side, I would say find something in your day that makes you a little bit uncomfortable and commit to doing that. Um, Whether that's, you know, a last rep in your workout or a conversation with someone or giving candid feedback Um, you know, we get better with discomfort, the more experience we have, we get better at learning the more often we put ourselves in learning environments. So seek that out every day. Um, on the recovery side, make 10 minutes for yourself where you fully commit to being present. And if that's reading a bedtime story, or if that's 10 minutes of headspace, or if that's on your run doing it without headphones and just fully being present in your body on your run you can do that or if it's washing your hands you can do that any way you want but um give yourself 10 minutes to just be present
0: i like that advice i'm gonna try this try it more often i should say some days it's hit and miss
1: yeah i had a scout once that said he was struggling to do 10 minutes a day And so we decided that he would do three, which actually on headspace, you can set it for three minutes, which feels like nothing. And I said, look, I'd rather have you be consistent at three minutes than hit or miss on 10. And that he, he's phenomenal practice. Now he's really good at it. But for months, he just did three minutes because it was really hard to make an excuse for three minutes. Um, whereas it was much easier to make an excuse for 10. So I guess I would also caveat that by saying, if you won't give yourself 10 minutes, Give yourself two. It's good advice. Yeah, I'm so busy. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm just so busy. Yeah. To take that extra time for myself, for my mental health.
1: Well, gosh. It's hard. But at some time at some point, you are less productive and taking more time on stuff because you're not in a performance state. So give yourself two minutes to get in a better performance state where I ideally 10 or 20. Um, and your productivity will go up.
0: I believe it. And I've seen that. I've seen that be true in the gym in particular, especially after a really fatiguing day when, you know, I have to make myself go train because it's just, you know, trying to grease the wheel of that habit. Yeah. Um, Taking a couple minutes to myself in my car to actually have some, presence of mind and and think about my intent for the workout and what I want to walk away with and maybe taking a minute or two to recite in my head a list of all the things that I'm grateful for that that small little rep helps me get in a good headspace to focus the workout instead of you know those sessions in the gym where you just feel like you're kind of floating through the work yes, with a, a mild degree of discomfort and annoyance bubbling below yeah. the surface at all times.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, that's awesome. Great description.
0: Yeah, just like mildly annoyed that I chose to be here, but it <laughs> doesn't yeah. have to be
1: that way. Yeah. Reflecting on the thoughts from the day and probably not at all present in your workout. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. hard. Gosh, I'm a chronic... Chronic conversation
0: replayer. Uh-huh. I should have said this. I wish I said that. Uh-huh. Such a waste of headspace in the well, gym. <laughs>
1: hindsight's twenty twenty too, right? And then you walk out of your mm-hmm. lift and you're like, man, you know, I thought I could have pulled more weight today, or I thought I, you know, I didn't have a great workout. So now a bad day has also become a bad workout. Whereas if you are able to kind of breathe and let go of the day and be present for your lift, maybe a bad day was a bad day, but your workout was a great workout.
0: Absolutely. That's how you turn it around, guys. Put some work into it, put some practice into it. Uh, before we go, I would like to hear or I, I'd love if you wouldn't mind explaining a little bit more just for myself and for the listeners about um, All Terrain Project and what you're up to. With yeah. That.
1: So um, All Terrain Project was born out of kind of my initial work around the military um, and then moving into baseball and realizing um realizing that a lot of times high performers haven't had a lot of time to create self-awareness in a safe space for themselves. Um, and I I guess I don't mean like the classic safe space, but like, um, they have been kind of cataloged as this great performer for a long period of time, whether that's, you know, they're signing autographs or they're, you know, the media falls on them or whatever. Um, and and then when they struggle, they really don't know who they are outside of their sport or their performance state. Um, and so, uh, we working with the military I realized like land navigation actually was this wonderful exercise um, where you're alone in the woods and you have to navigate using pretty simple tools and simple skills: map, compass, protractor at a basic level. And so, the all terrain project is a week long um, experience and uh, it uses land nav. Um, so probably not the greatest program for a really experienced soldier, but the idea is basically we spend a week and we kind of talk about a mental concept every day. And then people come in and they learn how to do, use a map compass protractor, um, pace counts, you know, shoot azimuths. And by day, day one, they learn map map compass protractor by day two, we're in the woods doing a group walk. And then day three, day four, day five, they're on their own. um, and they're navigating how to get from point A's to point A, point B's um, alone. And so, you know, you you naturally in land navigation uh, question yourself. There's lots of self talk that occurs. There's confidence moments. You know, I think I think this is this is where I was. I think this was my azimuth. I think I feel good about this. Um, shoot, I didn't think I was going to see that terrain feature. Um, and then there's decisions you make. You know, do I try to go back and and check? that I'm, you know, start from my start point again. Do I keep moving forward with this? Uh, Do I want to sit down and cry in this moment? Um, But it kind of was a chance for performers to deal with themselves outside of possibly their sport or whatever, or the boardroom or whatever their performance state was, and to really learn about how they learn, what they do when they meet challenges, uh, what they do when they get lost and have failure moments, hypothetically, and in in real life in the woods. and how they address that and what their performance habits were. Um, we got to pilot, uh, pilot it uh, with six minor league guys a couple years ago. And it was pretty phenomenal to watch uh, that the same things that they would do on a baseball field showed up in the middle of the woods. Um, and it gave us a way to talk about them that wasn't so personal, wasn't, you know, tied to their livelihood. It was instead who cares if they're good at land navigation? Um, so if you go on, um, all terrain um, you can kind of read about it, but then there's also a blog that I've uh, been doing, which is try to keep it quick. Everything's kind of under five minutes for the most part. Um, and it's, it's that mental side. It's the performance piece, the mental performance piece of, um, of performing and kind of different thoughts to consider as you consider, um, what makes people outliers, what makes them phenomenal at performing. Um, And so really the blog's what I've been able to work on during this time, um, hoping we can run a week of it in November. But who knows, uh, given travel and COVID, I certainly want to keep everyone healthy and safe. Um, But uh, that's the idea behind it.
0: Awesome. Well, certainly it's something to keep your eyes out for, um, listeners, um, as a person who's done lots and lots of land nav, it's actually really, I think that's kind of an ingenious idea because it's, it's so much more of, and if, I don't know if the, the experience could necessarily be described as ethereal or, um, it is, it is transcendent in a way that it makes you sit with uncomfortable feelings and, and, process them in a way that forces you to move forward. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, really in a lot of ways you, you can't just, you know, clock's ticking. You can't sit down in the middle of it <laughs> and quit. Right. You got no food, got no shelter. Like you got to figure it out, figure yourself out. Um, and I also have always noticed that that's often a very reflective time, especially when, you know, a given land navigation event is not under a time crunch necessarily. And it's just like, finish it when you finish it. And you know, that, keeping a pace count for five clicks is a, a really good practice and mindfulness. Yeah, um, present. I actually kept that technique in every single ruck march I ever did after spending a lot of time as an ROTC cadet doing land nav. Like I have found that I hate to let my mind wander for four hours straight on a March. So my typical technique is to count my pace the whole entire time. Because it keeps me on task and keeps me from thinking of negative things in the past or stressing about how much time is left in the march. I just I have a task and it, and it keeps me moving forward.
1: That's really cool. That's a really amazing way to stay present. And like if you go back to the stick figures, that keeps your head squarely on your body.
0: hmm Yeah. And it's funny, like leaving assessment later on, we'd talk about it and friends would be like, uh, I think it was around. T- I'm like, it was 18.5 miles. <laughs> like, How do you know? I counted the whole thing. And granted my stride might've gotten shorter cause I was tired, but I'm telling you it was 18.5.
1: That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. Yeah. yeah and I like, I mean, land up too, you know, if you find, if you're going from point A to point B and you find point B, I mean, that's such an amazing moment, you know, it feels so good from point B to point C. And so, you know, unlike in life, sometimes when we arrive, we don't totally know we've gotten there. Land-Nav is kind of, you know, hey, if you work through the process, uh, success is very tangible.
0: Oh, yeah. And it's just it's it's such a good confidence builder, not only in arriving at the point that you were trying to find, but knowing that you can rely on your yes. own basic skill set to get out of the woods, literally and figuratively. Yes.
1: Yeah, without it, any help. Exactly.
0: Without the help of a cell phone or another person or any outside emotional support besides yourself. Yeah, it's It's a really cool thing. I hope all you listeners go check it out. Um com. you said, right? Yep. That's it. Awesome. Very cool. Well, I have to say thank you so much for being on the show again. I think that these pointers are definitely you know, small jumping off points that listeners can kind of toy with a little on their free time, but also go digging into the research a little more on their own, because certainly there's so much material out there designed to help humans perform better, but um, I think the topics we covered today are just some of the really, really key basics that we often fail on in the military, and I think it'll be um, value-added to explore those things a little more on an individual level for listeners, so... Thank you so much for spending time with me on this here rainy evening.
1: Thank you. It's so much fun to get to talk with you. And, um, yeah, I appreciate it. If I can help in any way with anything else, uh, please let me know. But, yeah, this is always so much fun to get into with you. And, as always, we want to
0: hear from you. Reach out to us at ValkyrieProjectUS.com to send ideas, shout-outs, personal testimonies, or stories you'd like to share. We are also on Facebook and Instagram as ValkyrieProjectUS. So be sure to like and follow those pages to stay up to date. Do today what others won't. Do tomorrow what others can't. Thanks for listening.